You are listening to the Dabble Co. Podcast. I'm your host, nurse practitioner, Claire O'Brien. In healthcare, we have so many questions about what's trending versus what's actually the truth. So on this show, we're going to get to the bottom of it. It's health, it's wellness, it's beauty, explained by the people who actually know what they're talking about. Hey guys, welcome back to the Dabble Co. Podcast. Um, I am Claire, your host, and I did not get my life together this week to get someone um, in here as a guest. So I'm sorry, it's just me by myself today. Um, ironically, I will be visiting our best friends in Nashville this week, and I'm going to record like four different podcasts. So it's, it's it's sink or swim around here, and I just didn't, I just couldn't really get it together this week and schedules and anyway. Um, so thanks to everybody who put up, um, responses on Instagram, asking me questions. Those, those are, they're just always fun and funny because I get, you just get really, really good ones, but also really, really random ones. Um, so it was really good. Um, I took a few from that list. I'm going to answer 10 questions today. And those questions are a range of fluffy stuff. I tried to pick some just like funny, you know, easy ones, but also some really, really good questions. So here we go. Thank you for joining. Um, So the first question I'm going to answer is, how did I meet Ed? So Ed is my husband. Um, I met him. He's over here. Ed, when did we meet? Like 14 years ago? When was that? 2008? Anyway. Um, 12 years ago or so. So I was with one of my best friends at the rooftop market pavilion in Charleston. Um, and I actually had a huge crush on Ed's roommate who, um, is just, just a really, it's just funny. So we, I saw Ed's roommate, made my best friend go talk to him. Long, long story short, very long story short. Um, ended up meeting and becoming really good friends with my husband. We became best friends. He liked me first. I did not like him back. Then he realized I didn't like him. He tried to move on. And I was like, wait, I think I'm in love with you. Anyways, here we are a long time later and two kids and we're married. (laughs) So we met at a bar, which is funny. Um, And now his old roommate is we set him up and he's married to one of my good friends. So shout out to Marion and Cody. Um, So that's a fluffy one. The second question I love, I could not love this more. Um, So somebody asked, why is the HPV vaccine controversial? This is a really, really good question. So HPV is the human papillomavirus. It is incredibly, incredibly common. So this is a virus that is more commonly known to cause genital warts. And so that I think is kind of the first thing to look at when we, when we are trying to figure out why is it controversial? Because you, you hear HPV and you just, your brain automatically goes to like, you know, it goes to that, which is really just an, an old kind of outdated way of thinking about it. So human papillomavirus um, over, I want to say over half the population has it. I don't quote me on that stat, but it's, it is a significant amount. Maybe, maybe at least close to half of the population has it, and that's including um, men and women. It disproportionately affects women. Um, and 
it can manifest in many, many, many different ways. Um, one thing that you've probably heard of is abnormal pap smears. So that is a big part of why we do pap smears because so many people carry the HPV, HPV vaccine um, for which, so, so there is no cure. So once you have once you have HPV, which is, yes, it is a sexually transmitted virus, um, but it doesn't have to be penetrative sex. Um, so that's really important also to note. So it can be, it, it can actually be shared from non-penetrative sex, oral, um, we don't, you know, need to get into all the ways, but, but it's, it's more, it's easier to share than, than just that way. Um, so, disproportionately affects women once you have it and are infected with it um you can't there's no like medication or you know cure for that you you carry it for eternity um and it has a a high chance of spreading to your partners your future partners so the vaccine came out gosh probably about 20 years ago i remember um, my dad and brother both pediatricians um, but my dad I got it when I think I was in high school, um, and it was pretty new. I was one of the first people, I think, to, to get it in his practice. Um, but, I mean, it wasn't a, like a conversation. It just was, here's a new vaccine, go get it. Um, so for me specifically, I what I think is that I've, I, I think that people don't realize the value in this vaccine, and here's why. So I think it's really easy as parents. Um, I have two children. I think it's really easy to say my children are not going to need that because you think naively, number one, that they might not be sexually active before they're married. Cool. Even if they're not, was their partner? We don't know. Um, Number two, you think if they are sexually active, they're going to be, you know, quote unquote, smart. They're going to use protection. Um, I mean, who knows? I think you just have these ideas in your, in your mind as a parent that, may or may not even be true for your own child, but that doesn't mean that the partner that they end up marrying is, has had those same habits. So, so what I have seen is controversial is basically parents feeling like, um, getting their child this vaccine is some sort of free pass for them to then go and become sexually active and sexually active in an unsafe way. That is very confusing to me because I don't, I don't know why you're explaining to your child this vaccine in that great a detail. I mean, you start when the kid is like, I think they get their first round now when they're like 11 or 12. Um, if it, it's just weird. I mean, why, why are you going into that with them? It's a vaccine that protects against a virus that causes cancer the end. So to then go into more detail about, you know, how it's transmitted and blah, 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 like, well, that's on you. I mean, I don't know why you're explaining it like that, because to me, it's very cut and dry. It is a vaccine that protects against viruses, multiple strains of a virus that cause cancer. Um, So I also think that it's a little bit, not controversial, but I mean, this, this is just me kind of putting this out there, but I, I think we as a, uh, parental society kind of view the HPV, um, virus and the, the, the vaccine as protecting against cervical cancer, 
which is a woman's problem. And I, I mean, let's just, I mean, let's just be honest. I think there are a lot of women's health issues that are pushed down as not as important. Um, and that, I mean, that's just my honest opinion. So what we need to talk about is not just cervical cancer, because does it cause cervical cancer? Yeah, absolutely. But it also causes um, multiple types of male cancers, penile cancer being one of them. Um, and I just, I, I feel pretty confident that men just don't want to slash will not talk about that. But my background, my training and my background specifically makes this vaccine really, really beyond important to me because i worked specifically in a head and neck cancer practice for eight years, um, meaning tonsil cancer, oropharyngeal cancer, that's like, you know, f- your tongue, your floor of your mouth, your tonsils, the back of the throat, kind of all of the, all, the whole, you know, mouth and throat. And I, do, again, this is a statistic that I'm thinking is probably even outdated and probably higher at this point. But it, when I left um, head and neck cancer, it was estimated that about 40% of our cancers were directly caused by HPV. And we can test for that. So we can literally test the tumor and see whether or not HPV caused that tumor. So when you when you spend, you know, day in and day out watching young women, young men losing their tongue, losing, you know, the the ability to to speak, swallow, eat, wh- whatever it is because of what we have to do to save their life. Um, to me, then uh, something like a vaccine is just, it it just seems silly. Like, why are we debating this? I I don't, I mean, if you knew that there was something that you could give your child now that has a huge chance of, you know, reducing their risk of this other thing significantly in their lifetime, I I mean, I'm just like, why would you not do it? Um, now is every vaccine a hundred percent safe? Of course not. Nothing nothing in medicine, not one thing. There's not one medication. There's not one test that we do that is a hundred percent safe and without risk. Um, so I think that's really, you know, important to, to think about, but I, I, so I think that's why it's controversial to me. Um, that's, that's my understanding of it is that it goes back to, um, super conservative, um, parents basically just, taking this kind of stance that, that honestly out of just principle, because I, I think if you really step back and ask those parents to step back and really think about how they're even presenting it to their, to their teenage children, um, first of all, it doesn't have to be presented like that. And, and, and it's just, you've got to think, you know, you just, you don't know who your child is going to marry. I mean, you just don't, and you don't know, uh, it's a lot. Gardasil, the maker of, um, or Gardasil is the brand name of the HPV vaccine. And they had this campaign this year that I just thought was unbelievable. Uh, and it was, it was a younger child, like a teenage child. And they're asking the parents, did you know? It shows them later in life than with cancer. And anyway, I'm doing a terrible job explaining it. But they're basically saying to the parents, like, did you know, like, did you know there was a vaccine for this and you could have saved my life? And it was when I the first time I saw that commercial, I mean, I like literally cried because that was what I did all day, every day. Um, I mean, it was it just 
gut-wrenching, heartbreaking. Um, I I loved that job so much. Um, but man, I mean, that's just, yeah, my, my kids will be vaccinated against that, obviously. Guys, you know, I love Celadon, you know, I love it so much. So I wanted to tell you about the sale that they're having right now, 20 to 50% off from June 17th through the 30th of all their mirrors and wall art. Um, so mirrors are actually really hard. I feel like to deal with and to find good ones. Um, Celadon has amazing, amazing mirrors. So, I mean, I just love all their stuff, but you should definitely check it out. They have a website. They will ship. They are celadonathome.com. Uh, their social media is also awesome. I love following them for inspirations and they share, they, what I love is that they share other people that have used Celadon to decorate their homes. So definitely check them out. And if you live in Charleston, why would you not go there? Because first of all, you can get a glass of wine or a beer or a cup of tea or coffee and just roam around the store while you have a bev. So I just, I love Celadon and I would say it is probably one of my favorite stores in Charleston. They just have the most unique stuff. Check them out. Check out their sale. Celadonathome.com. Okay, moving on. So the next question was Ed's current COVID thoughts. And this is a tough one because it's a moving target. And we are in South Carolina right now. Um, we, I mean, we live in South Carolina and our cases are just absolutely skyrocketing, um, particularly in Charleston where we live. We think maybe this is because we're kind of a tourist town or we've got a huge tourist population, meaning then we have a lot of young people that are there working in restaurants and hospitality and bars and all that. So, um, that's probably a big part of it, but, um, we'll, we'll see what's going to happen. I mean, everything seems to be rising altogether. He, he, we were talking about it today. Um, he's wondering if maybe it has mutated into something that is less, um, fatal than it was in the beginning, but that's just a big fat question mark. Um, but it's, it's still, you know, quite serious, particularly for people over the age of, um, 60, 65. So, you know, both of our, our, you know, his mom and my parents as well, um, are in that category. So it's still really serious. Um, and especially here. So the next question was really good. Um, and I, I just, I, I struggle to talk about this, particularly on Instagram, because I, I think that it's harder on social media to see tone and have an actual conversation. You kind of have to put your thoughts into like a five second, I mean, a five sentence or, you know, two paragraph thing. And it, so it can be hard. But somebody asked, what do I think about holistic medicine and companies like Flow Living? So when you say holistic medicine, I'm assuming that you mean things like, complementary and alternative therapies and maybe like functional medicine. So, so it's really interesting because there are a lot of different categories in there that don't all mean the same thing. So uh, first of all, I want to say that I think that the reason a lot of medical practitioners are not just hesitant about complementary and alternative therapies, but actually like mad about them is because we watch these companies um, absolutely prey on our patients. So what, ha- what 
typically happens is something, a supplement, a vitamin, a mineral, a new treatment will have maybe some promise in an initial, you know, clinical trial or when it's new. And these companies then kind of piggyback on that and just jump all over. Let's take CBD, for example. So CBD has proven medical benefits, right? So there are several things that we're working on proving that it actually has been shown to be beneficial. Um, Seizures is one of them. Sleep is one of them, possibly anxiety. So those are all kind of related, right? Now, there are how many CBD companies out there that are touting that it will cure? I'm talking everything from vaginal dryness to your skin to, you know, joint pain, which may actually be accurate to, you know, sleep and anxiety, which is probably accurate. So there's nothing on this planet earth that will cure all of that. I mean, there's just nothing like that's not, there's no way that it cures all of those things. So I think it's just really hard for us to watch our, our patients, um, you know, hang their hat on, a lot of this predatory, these predatory practices, um, there are a lot of people that make a lot of money off people's fear and just wanting to have wellness, health and wellness. Um, and, and it's, it's a, there's a reason that it's a multi, multi, multi billion dollar industry. Um, it's, it's so it's sad. It's sad to watch that. Now, with that being said, are there complementary and alternative therapies that work? Of course, absolutely. Um, what's hard for us too, is that we're naturally, and, and I would hope people would understand this, we're going to s- prescribe, suggest things that have been studied, proven to be true, um, well before we, we recommend you do anything else. Now, like I will say in working in cancer for 10 years, we would see a lot of that. And fortunately, I didn't, I didn't see a ton of people just giving up on their traditional Western medicine to, to go into complementary medicine or people get mad. You don't even call it medicine, complementary, whatever the hell it is sometimes. But, um, but when that would happen, it was devastating. I mean, it was devastating. I can think of a couple of folks specifically who, one breast cancer patient that I will never forget. I mean, I'll never forget this person who just, you know, was untrusting of the medical system, understandably, but just said, you know, I'm not doing it. I, I think it's toxic and went to a I don't even know who, what kind of practitioner it was um, for alternative therapy and came back, you know, within a couple of months, just eaten with tumor. I mean, just, I, you know, and that it, fortunately we didn't see it happen that often. Um, I think it's going to become more and more common, honestly. Um, but I think when you find a provider that, understands why you're seeking those complementary therapies and why you're questioning, um, they either will be able to help you integrate that into your treatment or explain to you why they think that that might be harmful. Um, so a lot of this stuff is not just benign and a waste of money, but a lot of it can be actually harmful. Um, and people just really, I think, um, want to kind of paint this picture of, 
Western medicine versus, you know, Eastern Chinese, whatever was kind of where it started medicine. And it just, it, it doesn't have to be that way. There are plenty of folks that I know. And if you have a physician or a or NP or PA or whoever that's, that's seeing you and they're just very anti one or the other, then maybe they're not the right person for you. Um, you know, and there are plenty of folks out there that are happy to marry the two, the two worlds. Um, but that also so was one of the other questions I was going to answer. Somebody asked, what should we ask our medical professional professionals, but that we don't? Um, so I think people don't ask why enough. They, a lot of people don't ask enough. Now, why are you recommending this or what, why not do this versus this? And so what ends up happening is patients leave and they either don't agree with what we said or they don't, they don't understand it. And so they then are seeking another, um, opinion. That opinion often becomes the internet. And when you can, you can find whatever you want to answer, whatever question you want on the internet, however you want it. So if you don't want to take chemo for cancer, you can find justification for that somewhere on the internet. Um, I'm not saying it's reputable information, but I mean, but you'll you'll find it for sure. Um, so I I think yeah I think I think why um, is kind of a kind of a big one that that we would see now. And I, I know it's hard. I mean, to be, to be fair to, to patients, obviously it's hard. We're in a hurry. You're in a hurry. We don't have enough time. Um, but you know, I mean, there are so many other staff in the office that you can talk to about these things. Like you don't, you can call afterwards, you know, you can send emails, you can find this information. You can talk to, you know, get one of the nurses to talk to if you're, if you're thinking like my daughter just doesn't have time. Um, we want to answer the questions. We may not be able to answer it like specifically by ourselves to you on the phone, but I mean, I would talk to patients that I would literally verbatim tell them what my attending wanted me to tell them. And they'd be like, well, I just really, I need to talk to them about it. And I'm like, okay. I mean, I, anyway, it's, 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 it's hard. I mean, I get it. I, I really do. I promise it's, it's really hard. Um, so that's what a lot of us are doing here on this space is trying to give accurate, um, science-based information to, to patients that desperately need to find it and not find it in, uh, like a supplement company. Um, so someone said they are a nurse practitioner and wanted to know how did I switch specialties? Um, and it does seem terrifying and how does that work? So as an NP, you have an, or a PA, you have very general training, um, and then when you graduate, you can kind of pick whatever specialty you want. And I, I feel like it's somewhat up to us, but also a big part of that is up to your training by whoever you're hired. Um, so I've switched twice, sort of one, one switch was kind of similar, but so I, when I started in, so when I started at MUSC, let's see, I was in surgical oncology, which is breast cancer, melanoma, um, GI cancer, like colon and pancreas and sarcoma. Um, and also worked for an endocrine surgeon. We all split between the two. So I did a lot of thyroid cancer. 
Um, so when I was hired by them, you know, I had kind of homework. Like I went, I mean, I printed the NCCN guidelines for all of those specialties, which was like, I don't even know how many hundred pages. And I was like doing all this reading and I, it was crazy. I, I mean, I trained, so you kind of do your own training, but I do feel like there is a period of time when you start a new specialty. Is it three months? Is it six months? That's really hard to know where your physicians should not expect you to just know everything about their specialty. Because like you said, I mean, they went to med school and residency, but then they probably did a fellowship in whatever the subspecialty was. Um, And yeah, so it's it's a combination of you learning and but but asking them where to learn. What journals do you like? What what are your favorite, you know, resources for this particular problem or disease um category that they treat. So it it's not it it's hard in that there's just a ton of learning, but typically when you switch specialties it's because you're going to go do something that you really wanted to do. So it's like it's fun learning. I mean, I've I loved it and now I'm doing aesthetics and tons of learning, but it's, it's fun because it's new and it's what I want to be doing. Um, yeah, so you can do it. You should, they should train you. And, and if they don't allow time for training, um, then they don't, then that's not good. They should, um, that's not really how it should work. Fluffy question. My hair, I got like three or four questions about my hair. Like, what is the deal with my hair? I love y'all bless it. I don't know. I have a lot of hair. I just have a lot of hair, but also have like hairy arms and hairy legs and like tons of peach fuzz. <laughs> and, uh, I'm just, I'm like a Furby, if you will. Um, I don't, I will say I don't wash my hair very often. I try not to wash my hair as much as I can. I have just discovered actually my hair cutter lady, Kelly, who I love told me about it. Bumble and Bumble has now made a dry shampoo that is for hair specifically after you've worked out it's actually not dry you spray it on I don't understand it some kind of like a miracle so it's wet you spray it on and then it dries and it when your hair dries it feels like you put dry shampoo in and it smells good and it's magical so I try not to wash it other than that I don't know I don't take special magical vitamins I don't know I can't I, I can't um more fluff what is my favorite sunscreen this is very tricky So for my face, I have been using recently the Skin Better Science SPF Compact. And when I first got it, I was like, I don't understand. Is it makeup? Is it sunscreen? I don't, I like, I don't get it. So if you are using like a makeup CC cream that has SPF in it, that's not enough. Hold on. I have to take a sip of my drink. Now, what Skin Better did was make a makeup sunscreen thing. Like, this thing is in a compact, and it's creamy, and it's makeup, but it's sunscreen, and it's magical. So, that's my favorite one for my face. And then, um, my friend Katie, Savvy Derm, gave me, as a gift, sweet angel, this Elta MD spray um, zinc sunscreen, but that it's turn you when you rub it in it turns clear because I would prefer to have mineral if possible but I basically will take whatever's around it doesn't matter to me um mineral chemical I just want to have sunscreen on at all times um so Elta MD 
spray sunscreen you spray it on and then it turns clear I just used the sun bum spray mineral spray and it was like spraying white house paint on yourself um so I probably won't purchase that one again but I mean it was just what was around and it's fine it just made you <laughs> super white um okay this is a doozy what are my thoughts on essential oils So, I would say, similar to the answer that I gave about the holistic medicine question. Listen, here, guys, like, you know, are there benefits to, are there specific benefits to some oils in some settings? Yes, of course there are. Sure. But my God, that doesn't mean that it's going to cure everything and that's what happened it's like we can't have nice things this is why we can't have nice things because you guys you you take it and you and we run with it and we are trying to make money and make a bajillion thing and it's it's too much so and first of all if y'all don't know okay if you do not know The story of the guy who founded Young Living, which is like one of the biggest multi-level marketing companies like in America, it's essential oils. That dude is bat shit crazy. Like you need to look up his background immediately because, whoa. So anyway, yeah, totally. Some oils have some benefits for some things the end. What makes, what makes me really annoyed is not acknowledging, which a lot of people don't want to do, acknowledging the adverse effects that some of these oils cause. So first of all, a lot of them are freaking poisonous. Like if your kid got their hands on your eucalyptus oil that smells magnificent, uh, they could die. I mean, there's a, there's tons of them like that. That's just one that I can think of right now. And then, you know, like lavender oil that people are like rubbing all over themselves, tea tree oil, huge proven endocrine disruptor, endocrine disruptors, right? So if you think about, you know, the whole clean beauty industry and the clean, you know, shampoo and lotions and all that, and everybody's wanting to avoid parabens and phthalates and sulfates, Part of that is because the some of those things have been felt, not proven, to be endocrine disruptors, right? But there are oils. So we're switching to all this clean stuff. We're putting oils in anything. And now it's like, okay, but you swung the other way so hard that you're not acknowledging that tea tree oil and, and lavender oil, there's like papers, tons of papers written about them causing specifically something called gynecomastia, which is when men literally grow breast tissue, like tiny boobies. And those boobies immediately went away when the patient stopped using either their tea tree oil products or their lavender oil products. Okay. Okay. Well, there you go. So I just, yeah, I mean, nothing... Nothing is totally benign. I think that's a huge takeaway. There is, again, water. You can overdose on water, right? So we just have got to get out of this mindset of things being clean or better than or less than. 
you know, just because an industry is, is telling us that, you know, and, and it, it really is terrifying to watch people, particularly in medicine, refuse treatment that we know is going to work because they feel like it might be unsafe. And, and then they're, they're turning to these things that, oh my gosh, haven't been studied and, and, or have been studied and found to be in fact unsafe. So, um, that's that. That's, that's, that's my thought on essential oils. And also, you know, if you're buying it from someone who's selling it, like, of course, God, I just, I can't, duh, They're, they sell it. Of course they love it and it works for everything. They sell it. I want to take a second to tell you about this new company in Charleston that is incredible and I wish I'd had it when I was having my first baby like five years ago. So Baby Settler was started by one of the OB nurses here in town. Her name's Hillary Sadler and she is the sweetest, most wonderful human. Um, she is a nurse and obviously works with babies and moms. Um, that is her primary job, but she felt like there was a gap kind of after baby comes or even before baby comes between who are you talking to? Is it your pediatrician? Is it your mom friends? Is it the OB? I mean, who's in charge of telling you the answers to all these things? So I love what she did. She set up this company where you can basically do a consult with her for anything. If you have questions about feeding, you can consult her. If you have questions about sleeping, am I doing my schedule right? Do I need to do a schedule? Do I, you know, what clothes do I need? Do I not need clothes? Do we use a bumper? Do we swaddle? Do we not swaddle? I mean, y'all, when you have a baby, your brain turns to liquid poo for at least a couple of months afterwards. And you're just desperate for answers from anyone. And this company is exactly where you can get that from. So she does in-person consults, but she also is doing virtual consults and her virtual consults are actually 50% off right now um, because of all this COVID stuff going on. So if you're looking for her, you can find her at baby settler on Instagram and then babysettler.com. I totally, totally recommend this company. <sighs> Moving on. So the last question that I wanted to answer um, someone said, asked me to do a deep dive on my brain tumor. Well, first, let me clarify. I did not have a brain tumor. Um, I did have brain surgery about a year ago. Um, and I don't talk about it a ton, not because it's, I care. It's just, it's very hard to explain. Um, so this is probably the perfect place to explain it. So I, I feel very fortunate. Let me just say, I feel so, so incredibly fortunate that I was working where I was working at the time. Otherwise, I would have bounced around to... I, I don't know how many specialties for how many years before I was diagnosed. Um, so I'm just going to go back to the beginning. But I, I started um, at least probably 10 years ago. I could hear my heartbeat in my right ear. And so I could hear my pulse. It wasn't super loud. It wasn't all the time. Um, I could hear it particularly when I was working out or running or something. I was just like, well, that's kind of weird. I guess I'm just like crushing this workout since I can hear my heartbeat. But then I could hear it sometimes when I was trying to go to sleep. But, and I, looking back, did I have other symptoms? I don't know. Maybe. I just, I don't know. So that was kind of the main thing. 
So when I started working in ENT, um, and I, I worked, when I started working in ENT, I worked with um, 13 different attendings, and our department in the hospital was super subspecialized in everything. So I worked with a guy who, like, only did sinus surgery, and I worked with a guy who, you know, only did, like, sleep and salivary stuff, and I worked with a guy who only did ears, and you get the point. So I was working with my ear surgeon one day and kept seeing these patients that had kind of some similar symptoms that I had. And I was like, that's, that's so weird. I didn't, I just didn't really realize that that was like a thing that I needed to get evaluated. So I told him about it and, um, they worked me up at the time for what they thought I was the most common reason for me to have those symptoms. So my workup was negative. I had an MRI and I had a hearing test. And at that time it was, everything was normal. So years keep, you know, going, got married, had one child, um, was okay. And again, like looking back, I just, I I don't know. I don't know if I had more symptoms for a long time. I, I just don't even know. I think I had symptoms that I probably really didn't think about, um, for a while. So, after my second baby was born, um, maybe two or three months after, because I think the first initial postpartum months, you just like don't you, just, you don't know what's what's going on, so you're just so confused. But um, I started getting just these banana symptoms. It was kind of like a bomb went off, and I didn't know what it was from. Like I couldn't hear that well anymore and or as well as I could um my heartbeat was now super loud like all of the time never went away and I didn't have great balance so Sarah it's funny for Sarah Frick is one of my good friends who um I took yoga from for years and I just had to quit, like I had to quit going. Cause I was like, I can't, I mean, I literally like can't do this. And when I would get my heart rate up, it was miserable. Like it was a nightmare. It was so loud that I like couldn't handle it. And then the weirder things started happening. So my voice got so loud that it would like vibrate my face. And I was having crazy headaches, like all day, every day, any loud noises would actually make me dizzy. So I would, if I heard a loud noise, I would like had to grab onto something. Like I was so dizzy. And then things made me dizzy, like pressure, like sneezing or coughing or anything like that would make me really dizzy. And I just, I mean, I felt terrible. So I'm, this is where the fortunate part comes in. So I was at work one day and I sneezed and had to grab the table next to me to like catch my balance and one of the other ear surgeons was literally walking by me and he's like oh maybe you have a dehiscence and I was like holy shit that's what I have so what does that mean so I had a congenital issue where my skull bone started to thin and then separate and my brain was poking through my skull and like sitting in my inner ear. And so all of these things that shouldn't have been communicated from my inner ear and my brain and all of that and all the sound stuff, I no longer had the protection of my skull to help me get like deal with that. And so I got a lot worse really rapidly. And I, but I'm so, I am so 
thankful that, so I called my friend who, Marianne, who's a PA in the ear department. I was like, I, so Dr. Rizek just said this. I'm pretty sure he's right. I looked it up, make totally makes sense. So she ordered testing for me. Super positive. Um, I actually have it on both sides, but I only have symptoms on the right side because it was a lot bigger. The hole was a lot bigger. So ultimately decided to go to Johns Hopkins to have it fixed. Um, and yeah, so that's, so I had a little, a little minor brain surgery. Um, when I say that, because there's so many bigger surgeries and things that, that people, you know, have to go through. And so, I mean, I don't want to minimize it, but I'm also like, I just, it just could have been so much worse. What I, what I think is worse is knowing there were people like me. So, so backing up before I had it fixed, I was diagnosed with it and got on a couple of medicines to try and control the headaches because that was the worst thing. Like I'd be at work and I'd be like, I, I, just, I can't even like see that well. And I remember one day, so I used to have days when I'd work with my boss and then days when I'd have clinic by myself. So I left clinic one day and I called my boss who is the most wonderful human on this earth. And I was like, Eric, I just saw like 25 patients by myself and like, I don't know what happened. I don't know what I was talking to them about. And, but like, also I don't care. And he was like, okay, um, go home and like, don't come back until you're ready. Like in the, in a good way, you know, like in the best way possible. Um, so it was awful. I went home. I had two real, I still have two little kids, but I had two really little kids at the time who, if one of them was crying, it was like excruciating for me. Like I could not parent them. I mean, I literally could not like handle them. So I took like a month off of work, um, which I don't even know. I mean, I just basically like laid in the bed for a month and, um, like I just tried to get on better meds and waiting on my appointment and Hopkins. And, you know, it took me like anybody else. I mean, it took me three months to get in there. Um, then when I went, they wanted me to do really specific diet to try and weed out. Is it migraines or is it, um, so what I had, they have to be really sure that what you have is actually causing your symptoms before they'll operate on you. And so I basically had to go through a period of like two months where I was trying all these medicines on this crazy diet. Um, I lost like 15 pounds trying to figure out if that was, you know, if I needed to have surgery or not. So I did and it was awesome. And I woke up from surgery and I just, I mean, I kind of remember this being in like under anesthesia, but like coming out of it and I was like, it's so quiet. Um, cause I, I just, yeah, I mean, it's, oh my God, I could hear my eyeballs move y'all. I mean, it was crazy. Like I, I, that's why I don't talk about it that much because you sound insane trying to describe to someone what is going on is like literally when I would talk because of the way the sound was transmitting, the room would move with the cadence of my voice. I felt freaking terrible, but I, Anyway, it's it's over. It's done. I have a titanium plate. It's lovely. Uh, sometimes my screw gets agitated and I rub it like a tick. It's fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine. Um, but thank you for asking. That is an interesting story. And I hope none of you have that. But if you do, um, 
write me a message and I would love to talk you through it because it was bananas. But I just, I feel, I mean, I, I legit feel like a different person. It's crazy. Like even when I, I still get some migraines, but it's like on a scale of one to 10, what I have now is like a three or four compared to being a 10 out of 10 all day, every day for, oh gosh, like eight months. Um, and there are people that don't get diagnosed for years because it's super rare. And I think what would have happened looking back is I probably would have, like I had my ENT workup, it was negative. I would have gone to a neurologist. I would have gone to then probably a psychiatrist. And I just, I don't know. It's bad. It's really bad. Um, thanks for listening. That was 10 super random questions. And looking forward to my next guest, I will have my best friend, Reems Reinhardt, who is a nurse practitioner. And um, she and I have been best friends for a long time. Our husbands are best friends. Um, that'll be a fun combo. I'm also going to interview Megan Griffin from skin farm. Um, love just her business. It's NP run. It is just the most amazing brand and super, super excited. I almost don't want to say it because I just, I feel like it's not even real going to happen, but, um, Alyssa Rosenheck is, um, just somebody I look up to so much. She is an architectural photographer and she is in Nashville. When I'm in Nashville, she said I could interview her. So my next few will be super fun. I'm also going to interview my business partner, Dr. Sarah Allen. And yeah, thanks so much. If you like the show, it is so, so important to me and so important for people to find this. If you like us, subscribe, give it a rating or review, tell your friends, Thanks, guys. See you next time.